in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Today, I am going to be discussing opting out with Doc G. And to set the stage, I really am excited about this concept because so many times we get stuck in what life is and don't always see what the options are. So imagine you are eight years old and your hero, your dad, a well-known physician, passes away unexpectedly. Life just gave you a moment of pain and learning and growth that is unimaginable to most kids, but you decide in that moment that your dream is to become a doctor. Despite the challenges in front of you, like working through the academic rigor with a learning disability, the grunt work of med school, the trenches of residency, and the years of unforgiving night shifts, you achieve that dream. You are a full-fledged medical doctor. Except in achieving that dream, you've also built a protective armor so you can't hurt anymore and your sense of humor has gone dormant. In our world, the path to the summit is a journey. It's often filled with good intentions and aspirations, people rooting you on and society celebrating our achievements. But what happens when our fuel gauge is empty and our compass seems off? I don't know where I first heard Doc G's story, but I remember feeling completely validated. My path was not that of a doctor. Mine was a teacher. And in that moment, I realized that everything I had worked for was not as I expected it to be. And there was a dark side to this dream. Today, Doc G is going to shine a light on the aspects of life, allowing the armor to crack and give way for joy and purpose to seep in. His empathetic approach creates the space for individuals whose identity is often intertwined with their careers. Doc G is a husband, father, writer, and prophetic storyteller, I might add, and a physician that discovered financial independence and opted out of medicine for a life of greater meaning and purpose. Doc G, it is such an honor and a privilege to have you here today. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thanks for having me on the show, Heidi. And thank you for saying that you connected with some of my stories. The truth of the matter is, I might have been a doctor, you might have been a teacher, but they're commonalities, I think, with our struggles of trying to figure out what our true identities are, not the identities that someone else put on us or the ones even we grew up with, but the identities that truly fit us best. Yeah. Can you talk about that point in your life when you were grappling with what is this identity that I'm striving for? You realized you had an opportunity in front of you when you realized you had financial independence. But can you just talk us through what was your mindset like and what were some of the things you were grappling with in that moment? It was probably one of the more difficult moments in my life, which is surprising, right? Because when I found out I was financially independent, I had had these financial behaviors, which I had been modeled from my parents, and I entered a high paying profession. So I had been saving money, I had been investing, I had even bought some real estate and was a landlord. So I was doing all these things that were good for my finances. 
but I didn't really have the vocabulary to understand what that meant. And someone had sent me a book that described financial independence. And when I read it, I knew immediately that I was financially independent. I had enough money to pretty much not work or work minimally for the rest of my life. The funny thing is I should have been overjoyed, but in truth, I was a little bit depressed and anxious because I had built this whole identity around being a physician. I had spent most of my young adulthood becoming this physician, and now I had the opportunity to pivot, to walk away. But that left a huge question in my mind. Well, who am I? If I leave medicine and, you know, over the years, I always knew that this identity of being a physician didn't quite fit well. I remember when my friends were in medical school, we'd go out to a restaurant and when they'd leave their name, they'd say, I'm Dr. So-and-so, you know, I have a party of three or when I was in residency or a young attending physician and everyone went and hung out in the physician's lounge it never really felt like it was my place. I never felt comfortable in that company. I would go to parties with my wife and I would hide in the corner because I was afraid that someone was going to ask me, well, what do you do for a living? And I had to go into the process of saying I was a physician and then people would assume things about me. And I always felt like as long as they didn't ask me that question, I had a much richer conversation and a better experience. So it was really hard for me when all of a sudden it became possible to just walk away. And I didn't know what to do with all those emotions. I was afraid. Uh, and fear, it's hard to deal with because we think of fear often as not having enough. I had almost the fear of too much, too much, <laughs> too many decisions, too many possibilities. And that scared me just as much as sometimes not having enough. Yeah. And I imagine having that status, you also have built all of these relationships. How did you handle the relationships that you had with fellow colleagues, with your wife, with your kids, with your mom? You know, like, how did all of those conversations go as you were thinking through this idea? Obviously, you mentioned it didn't really happen as a lighthearted decision. It, it took some time, I'm assuming. Well, part of the problem is when you decide that the path you've been taking, the path that everyone else has invested in for you is not the correct path, it takes enough for you just to come to that decision yourself. But then, of course, there's the next step is when you start telling people, your loved ones, friends, spouse, children, when you start talking to them about how you feel it's like the second loss. The first loss was when you realized that it wasn't right for you. The second loss is when your friends and family realize that their vision of you is not reality or at least what you want your reality to be. So it's a difficult conversation. My mom had very much invested in this idea that I had become a physician. And while she never said, boy, I'm really sad you're leaving medicine, I certainly could tell that that was not her plan for me. Same with my colleagues, because some of my colleagues were dealing with the same stresses and fears about medicine that I was dealing with, but they didn't necessarily have the option to step away. So what happens when someone you identify with who has a similar life course to you all of a sudden says, you know what, this isn't right for me and leaves? 
it may cause a fundamental questioning of you yourself and what you're doing. And people don't like to question those deep things. So they don't necessarily want you to either. So I definitely faced some resistance. I was choosing to opt out of this life that had up to now been my identity. And the thing about opting out is not everyone's going to support that. Not everyone's going to see it the way you do. Not everyone is going to have experienced what you've experienced. So it's it's the tough part after you make the decision is dealing with the consequences of it. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I'm feeling all of those feelings with you right now. <laughs> so I can only imagine the courage that it took to have those hard conversations. How about your wife and your kids? Were they with you on this journey? Or was this a bit of a surprise to them as well? Luckily, I think they were completely with me on this journey. And part of the reason is my wife had noticed way before I did that maybe medicine wasn't the right career path for me. When I was in medical school, there was an opportunity to take business classes and get an MBA by doing just one extra year of schooling. So medical school is four years and MBA is usually two years, but I could have combined them and done a four-year medical and one-year MBA. And my wife saw this opportunity and she's like, you should totally do this. She's like, you are interested in business. Maybe this is something that you'll want to use in the future. And I remember looking at her and saying, there's no way. I'm not going to waste another year. I've wanted to be a physician all my life, and this is what I'm going to do. Why would I ever want to go to business school? Looking back, I realized she saw in me the discomfort that I had with the identity that I was wearing on top, right? The identity that I had grown up with. She knew from the beginning. So when I got to this point where I was getting burned out in medicine, she saw how hard I was working. She knew that I had other interests. I don't think it was such a stretch for me to say to her, okay, maybe it's time that I pulled away from medicine. My kids were young enough. They knew that I worked a lot. They knew that I was always being pulled away to take phone calls. And then once I made the transition, they knew that the dad they now had was calmer, mm -hmm. laughed more, smiled more, joked around more, and was present more often. And so I think they embrace the change. Kids are easy because they'll pretty much accept what their parents tell them, especially at young ages. Mm -hmm. So they were along for the ride. So I was lucky enough to have that support at home. It would have been a much harder transition if I didn't. Definitely. And I think sometimes as you come to these decisions, you may have been working on it for a long time, but we don't, not everybody's on that journey with us. And so it's encouraging for me to hear that your wife was along with you and maybe even saw that opportunity for you. That's exciting. And I smiled when you said your kids were excited, you know, because they got to see a different dad that I sometimes think in the future of my own life of what I would be as a mom or what you felt like you were becoming as a dad. How has this opting out experience changed the trajectory of your life? And what things are you doing instead of being a doctor? I know you're still practicing to some degree, but what other things are seeping into your life in the midst of opting out of being a full-fledged medical doctor practicing full-time? So opting out has utterly changed my life in a few ways. One is you mentioned that I am still practicing as a doctor. I do still work 12 to 15 hours a week as a hospice and palliative care physician where I run teams of practitioners, that's nurses, chaplains, social workers, certified nursing assistants, and help them take care of the terminally ill. 
the reason why I'm still doing that is when I decided it was time to step away from those things in medicine that were no longer fulfilling my needs or filling my cup, so to speak, I systemically started subtracting the things that I didn't like about medicine. So I didn't like being on call. So I got rid of all the parts of my job that had to do with being on call. I didn't like rushing off to the nursing homes or hospitals. So I got rid of those aspects. What I was left with was this work with the hospice where I was a consultant. So I work for myself and I consult with this hospice and I put in these 12 to 15 hours a week. And that was what still had lots of value in my life. So I decided to hold on to that. The question you asked was how my life has changed since I decided to opt out. Well, there were always these parts of my life that were trying to push towards the front of my consciousness, which I kept on suppressing. So because I was a doctor and I was busy and I was working all the time, I had these hobbies. I loved to write. I used to blog about medicine. I like to start small businesses. So I had a business where I bought and sold artwork. I had all of these interests. The problem was that Every time one of these interests got serious, whether it be my writing or a business enterprise or whatever it was, I always eventually had to stop because I was too busy running my medical practice. So I always knew there were things I wanted to do, but I kept on telling myself, well, that's not what a grown-up does. A grown-up doesn't spend his time writing or podcasting or public speaking because you're really just not going to make a good enough living doing those things. A grown-up got this medical degree, and will be a doctor. When I finally realized that I could opt out of being a doctor, I had all of these things that I was interested in that I had never pursued fully. What I realized is that my identity as a doctor was an identity that wasn't fitting comfortably, but what did fit comfortably was this identity as a communicator. I love to write and blog. I love to get up and do public speaking. And now I love to podcast these are all things that I would have never thought of doing for a living when I was 20 years old. They're things that, frankly, I'm not nearly as good at doing as I was at being a doctor. But the benefit of being where I am at life is I can pursue these things that I totally enjoy, even if I'm not amazingly successful at them. I can be a writer and maybe my writing doesn't make me any money, but it brings me joy. I can podcast and maybe my podcast doesn't get as many downloads as I want but I can enjoy the process of interviewing people and learning about podcasting and learning about the people I have on the show, and in this case, personal finance. So it's really caused me to pivot away from what I thought I was supposed to be doing and towards the things I want to be doing. And there's no real pressure to succeed above and beyond enjoying the process. Okay, I need to pause on that because that's amazing. <laughs> I just think, isn't that what we dream of having a life of fulfillment and really doing what we love? And you're finding value, even if it's not about the numbers. That's amazing. I love, thank you for sharing that because I feel like you've just handed all of us a gift. And I think so often society suppresses what we really want versus what we think we need to achieve. And I, I really honor and appreciate what you just shared with us. Let me push you even a step further. Go ahead. <laughs> I went and did something that I call front-loading the sacrifice, right? So I got a high-paying job. I worked really hard. I made as much money as I could. I invested it. 
And then I used that money that had compounded to support my life so I didn't need to work so I could pursue these things of passion and interest, these things that fit my identity better. What if I had decided to do these things at the outset of my career? I'm not saying I would do it that way if I could again, but it is an intriguing question because it took me Mm -hmm. to my mid-40s to finally shrug off this identity that wasn't fitting me. What if I had had the courage to do that at the beginning of my career? Well, and I was going to say, you've probably been wearing that since you were eight years old, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So if you could have tried on something else, had anybody ever challenged you to think beyond? I mean, you mentioned your wife with the business, but in your formative years, you know, in high school or anything, did anybody ever challenge this concept that maybe you should try on something else? Or did you ever, you mentioned the art too, did you ever explore that? Or did you make that decision that, no, I'm going to be a doctor? I think it was so ingrained into my psyche, especially with my dad passing away and wanting to be like him. And then if you think about society and how we really accept professions like doctoring, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone ever questioned. I think people were excited that I had a direction and I seemed sure about it. So there wasn't a lot of exploration about doing other things I don't know if that was society or my family or if that was just me. I was so certain that at that age, that was what I was supposed to do. Do you ever look back and wonder what your dad would think now? I do. You know, the sad thing for me that my dad died and he wasn't able to see his kids, right? I'm one of three boys and then we've all had our own children. And gosh, I mean, the the sadness there that he didn't get to experience what became of us is real. And I I feel very bad for him, right? Right. Like, because I feel like I've lived a wonderful, uplifting life despite that, right? My dad died, but I look at all those positive things that happened in my life. Even becoming a physician was a positive thing in many ways, although I've now moved in a different direction. I wonder, you know, I think my dad, when when I go back and look at my dad's things, And I look at his notes from medical school and I look at, you know, he used to write a lot of poetry himself. He was into woodworking and lanyards. He was learning another language. When I actually go back and look at it, my dad was kind of a jack of all trades. Mm. So maybe it's not so surprising that I've found more creative outlets in my life. I think he had those creative outlets too. I just think that being a physician was maybe a little more upfront and center Mm -hmm. in who he was than it is in who I am. And we often introduce ourselves as who we are. You know, I think that persona was probably one that he carried and you maybe you carried, you know, as a doctor that that persona, whether you liked it or not, that that's how we often introduce ourselves. Hello, what do you do? You know, that's those usually the two questions I would love to reframe how we could introduce ourselves without having to talk about the roles we play or the professions we lead. How do you introduce yourself now? Do you still introduce yourself as a doctor or do you try to lead with the communicator aspect of your life? I think it's really fun when people ask you what you do to say I'm a podcaster or I'm a blogger, (laughs) Uh, not because I truly make a huge living out of doing those things, but it's just fun to see people's faces light up. The truth of the matter is, in our COVID world, I don't meet a lot of new people. (laughs) But the the other truth, I guess, is that Nowadays, I meet people who are much more in line with my identity and purpose. So 
I found that when I was part of the physician world, I didn't really make lots of friends because I don't know if I really felt like I fit. Once I discovered personal finance and podcasting and blogging, I started going to these meetings and get togethers and I didn't have to explain who I was because they kind of already knew by fact that I was at this get together. So I would say, I do this podcast and I write this blog. And I didn't really have to explain away the physician part the way you think I would have. I guess it's kind of what happens when your purpose, identity, and connections all start aligning. Mm -hmm. That need to explain yourself kind of disappears. It sounds like your understanding and definition of connection has gotten much deeper since you've removed this identity of doctor, per se. Would that be a correct assumption that connection means something different now than it had previously? It definitely does. I mean, I was trying to find purpose and identify myself in a world that didn't fit. And so I didn't naturally make those connections. Why didn't I hang out with my colleagues? Why wasn't I going to the physician's lounge? Even now, I can count my number of doctor friends on one hand, and yet I spent, you know, decades doing this for a living. I think connection naturally flows from identifying what is your purpose in life and embracing your own identity. And when you do that, you find yourself in situations in which it's naturally part of the process where you connect with other people. I've made more friends in the last two or three years since I left medicine than I did throughout medical school and residency, which is a very social time where you're meeting lots of people. Yeah. Talk about your kids for just a second. I think sometimes we as parents want to have the best life for our children. I'm curious when you made this shift, how that relationship not only shifted, but what do you dream for your children now? I think as a child, you sometimes want to please your parents. I'm curious how that connection shifted as you've been on this journey now for a couple of years. Is that connection any different or is that uh, identity of what you envision your children doing or being when they grow up any different? I think what's changed is I dream for my children to feel the sense of freedom that I feel at this point in my life. I really felt very locked into my profession and into even the importance of making money for maybe the first 20 years of adulthood. I think my kids hopefully can learn a little from my experience and see that if they're intelligent with their money and if they use some planning and think about things carefully, they can either start living kind of their passion and identity immediately as they get into the workplace or at least plan very well so that they spend five or 10 years maybe working at a career that doesn't fit them like being a physician didn't fit me and then can transition to a little bit more of a free lifestyle where they can pursue what they're interested in and find out really who they are. That's the magic spot, right? Is when our kids can find that space of being comfortable and being themselves so can you talk just through what are you, you talked about your communicator kind of role and podcasting. Do your kids listen to your podcast? How does that connection play out now? What are the things you're creating as a family to move forward? So my kids do listen to my podcast. In fact, my son is my podcast editor. He's 16 years old and he has found a way to edit my podcast. My episodes are, you know, 50 minutes to an hour, and he can somehow edit them in like 45 minutes. He plays it on triple speed. It's the most amazing thing. And one of the really fun parts about that is that he 
has heard hundreds and hundreds of hours now of talk about personal finance and financial independence and what makes you happy about things like building businesses, about real estate. He really, as a 16-year-old, has gotten his own little group of educational seminars on finance. So we have all sorts of interesting conversations about that. And I think my family is into this idea of seeing me happy and engaged and doing something that I feel is very worthwhile and important. So I think that becomes part of our whole family plan. It's kind of what we do. We each have our roles. My wife is still working. I do the podcast and write. My kids are busy at school, but we have kind of these joint goals for ourselves as a family. And I think part of that, again, is is being engaged in our life and having the right intentions and enjoying the here and now. How long has it been since you've left full-time doctor work to this life that you're in right now? So I am proud to say that it's been about two and a half years now. Wow. In which I, so my current role, I don't actively see patients anymore. I advise teams. So it's been more than two years since I've seen a patient. And for better or for worse, I don't miss it at all. Like, I kind of feel like I've pretty much closed the book on that life and am ready to move forward and do other things. I find the current life I'm living much more pleasurable, much less anxiety provoking. And uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Like I, I was realizing that I don't get the Sunday evening fear and anxiety or gloom that I used to, right? Facing Monday morning, every day is a Monday or a Saturday or a Sunday or a Tuesday for me. It doesn't really make a huge difference. I decide what I want to do when. Part of that means that I find myself looking forward to Mondays, but it also means that sometimes on a Saturday afternoon, I'm doing what other people would call work. It's a very free lifestyle in which I don't feel the constraints and borders that I used to feel from the traditional week. That reminds me, Brene Brown has a statement that if you can't say hell yes, you better start saying no. And I thought that was a very eye-opening moment because it sounds like you're saying a lot more hell yes to what you really want to be doing versus what you feel like you should be doing. And that's the litmus test. Pretty much, if I don't really want to be doing something, I do my best not to do it. So, of course, there's certain things you have to do, right? Chores around the house, et cetera. But when it comes to what people would traditionally call work, I really don't spend much time at all doing things that I don't deeply want to do. In fact, I don't spend almost any time. I mean, it's very rare that I don't look forward to doing something that needs to get done because almost everything is of my own choosing. People make the mistake that once they become financially independent, once they have enough money, they'll never work again. That's not it. It's just that you learn to only do work of your choosing, work that really you believe adds to you or your life. The real power of having control over your finances is you can say no to anything you don't want to do. Yes. And that's the life I'm (laughs) striving towards. I'm definitely on the journey and we're far from being there. But I think it's such a foreign concept for so many people that you can opt out, that you can say no and say, what, what are the things that really drive you? As you start up your podcast, you've also been doing that for quite a while. Are there growing pains with that of things that you're deciding, you know, I'm not best suited for this? You mentioned your son is engaged in the editing. Are there other aspects as you turn those chapters that you're looking forward to in the future? 
I love podcasting. It is just such a rush to get a cool or important or an interesting person across the mic from you and ask them deep penetrating questions and create a conversation that has meaning. So I'm always looking forward to that. There are certainly parts of of podcasting I don't love. I'll tell you the truth. I don't love the social media stuff. Mm -hmm. I've never been a natural born self marketer. And so when I go to set off to do those type of things, it's always a constant weighing of is the benefit I'm going to get from doing this something I really want enough to spend this time doing something that either doesn't feel comfortable or is something that naturally I wouldn't spend my time doing. So there are those growing pains. I love the actual process of making the podcast. And in fact, that's how one way my life has really pivoted is I've, I've changed the way I look at my activities. Instead of looking towards goals that I hope to achieve, I've pivoted to looking towards processes that unto themselves bring me happiness and joy, regardless of the endpoint or goal that they lead to. And that's really a different way of looking at things. So when it comes to things like podcasting, sometimes I have to slow myself down and say, okay, the goal is becoming such a hassle or is becoming anxiety provoking or fearful to the point where you're not enjoying the process anymore. And that's when I know that I need to pull back or change. The way I look at it is I want the process to be unto itself good enough, or it's probably not worth my time. Yeah, because if we don't enjoy, I think that's relative to like adventure life. If you don't enjoy the process, so what's the point of getting to the destination then? It's if you've put so much on the destination or on the goals or on the achievement, then have you really learned in the process? I was thinking about your son editing all of those podcasts and what a rich education he'll have, not just in financial independence, but also in understanding skills and learn. you have such amazing people on your podcast. And I haven't even given you the chance to talk about your podcast, really. Do you want to <laughs> tell us more about what is Earn and Invest and what are you trying to accomplish on your podcast? Sure. So we actually started as the What's Up Next podcast. And the idea behind it was I wanted to have next level financial independence discussions. I didn't want to talk about how you become financially independent. I didn't really even want to talk about how you make money in general or how you do a Roth IRA or those type of things. I really wanted to take the conversation to the next level and get more to the why and what now. And I did that for a while at a partner named Paul Thompson, and he decided he wanted to step down from the podcast, and we rebranded to Earn and Invest, partly because what's up next, people just would see it on the charts and wouldn't know what it was about. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind Earn and Invest, and I've been working kind of on a byline, but basically the thought process is... I want to create the conversations that help you earn and invest in your future so you can decide how to live your life right now. And so that's the idea. I want to talk Mm -hmm. about the bigger picture issues about money and life and how they fit together. I spend less time talking about financial independence than I used to and talk about more personal finance in general. But the idea is it's an open forum to have interesting conversations that don't necessarily need to be about money. For instance, 
I'm going to be doing a panel coming up in the future that is three different documentary makers. And we're just going to talk about the how, what, and why of documentary filmmaking. So that obviously doesn't have as much to do with money, although one of the documentary makers made a film about money. <laughs> but it gives me the latitude to just say, I think this is these are interesting people. Let's have an interesting conversation that I think will affect people's lives. And you create the space so authentically. I don't know how you do it. When you said your future role, I was like, I feel like you should have been in journalism in some aspect because you just create the space for people to show up so authentically. And I have found great value from just listening in. Every time I'm like, this dude was a doctor. I feel like he should have been in journalism because we would get such greater stories out of the world if, if you were in that space. So thank you for creating that space. I appreciate you saying that. I realized a while ago that I really look up to Terry Gross, right, from Public Radio. Her show is Fresh Air, and she is known as the consummate interviewer. She's been doing this for decades. She's interviewed anyone and everyone who's famous, not famous, and she's known for her great questions and conversations. People kind of say, when you get interviewed by Terry Gross, it's like no other interview. And that's what I'm going for. Like, I want to ask those questions that other people don't ask. I want to delve deeply into why my guests are who they are. And what is that nugget of knowledge or information or feeling that's buried deep down in there that is true and authentically them that no one's heard yet? And if I can search for those things and make those conversations, I can't think of a better way to spend my time. And that's why I love it. <laughs> Because you get there. And that's why I appreciate so much for what you're doing and creating that space, because it is so much more than that. I've also heard Terry Gross, and she does, does a lot of research, too. I think she just gets to know it's about connection, right? As she gets to a deeper level connection that I think some of her guests don't even know that they're they're going there with her. As I think about my listeners, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. There's a lot of my listeners who are young families, who are young parents, um, or on their path to potentially financial independence or a freer lifestyle, a lifestyle of adventure. If you were in their shoes, do you have any advice for them on just how to embrace or approach the next step, the first step of opting out? So I think there is a two or three pronged approach. One is you got to kind of figure out who you are. What is your true identity and what is your purpose? I think until you know what those things are for you separately or even for your family, it's really hard to start pursuing them. It's hard to decide what you want to opt out of until you also have an idea of what you want to opt into. So a lot of us know we don't like our jobs or we don't like parts of our lives. And we say, well, I want to opt out of that. That's great. But especially when it comes to your job or even generally for your own identity, you kind of have to have an idea of what direction you want to move into. So I think that's part of the approach. The other prong is that you have to understand your finances. I think I like that we talk about finances only so that we can stop talking about finances, right? <laughs> the idea is you need to get your finances in order so that have enough to do whatever you want so that you can stop thinking about it. But if you don't think about it at all, it's really hard to pursue those other things. So I think if you can look at those both ideas, and many people would then question, well, how do you decide what your purpose and identity are? And I think that takes a lot of deep thought. I think that takes saying yes to lots of lots of things. 
I think it takes being vulnerable and trying new things that scare you. And in the process, ultimately, eventually you find what fits. And for me, I found that, like you said, you listen to my interviews and so you say, boy, you could have gone into journalism. Well, I just didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> right? I just didn't know that because I was too busy being a doctor. I had to say yes when Paul Thompson, my previous partner, said, hey, let's do a podcast together. And the first thing I felt was fear and anxiety. And what if I'm bad at this? And oh, my God, this is something new. But instead of running away from that vulnerability, I kind of felt, well, I am reinventing myself. I have to decide who I'm going to be. And the only way to figure that out is to try a bunch of things and see what sticks. I recently talked to someone and they gave me the same advice. Or it wasn't really even my advice. It was their own path that they thought they were going to be this, but they couldn't figure it out exactly. And someone said, just do everything. I think this person was a photographer. They said, shoot everything. Shoot everything from you know, bridal showers to graduation pictures. She's like, eventually you're going to figure out what people want from you. And that's where you need to, you know, lean into it, even if it's uncomfortable. And so I appreciate the fact that you've been able to create the space, not only for you, but for so many other people to allow themselves to break down that armor and try different things that even though they don't know if they're going to be good enough at it, good enough is relative, right? It's what brings you joy in the process and, and you'll find your path. Yeah. And I think it's okay. The, the other thing people don't realize is your purpose may change. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, so my purpose in my 20s was to become a doctor. And there were some very good things about that. My purpose in my 40s is very different. And there is nothing wrong with that. I love the saying you only live once, partially because actually, I think we live hundreds of lives. We have new beginnings and endings. We have people come into our lives and we have people leave them. It's an amazing opportunity to embrace all these new opportunities. Yeah. It's okay to change. It's okay that your goals in your 20s are not the same as your goals in your 40s. Yeah, I like the YOLO with a plan, you know, <laughs> like to <laughs> yeah. your point of have a financial plan so that you know what you can do and but yet have enough freedom to try a lot of different things. So you can live once 20,000 times if you need to. Exactly. Is there anything that you really wanted to share or anything you thought I would ask that I didn't? No, the only thing that I say, and I say this very often, so sorry if you've heard it before, is don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, if I look back at my life, mostly or almost always when I was willing to authentically be vulnerable, to throw myself into something that scared me, I almost always benefited. I mean, I, I can't think of a time that I didn't. I almost always took something from the situation. So... We're talking about opting out. We're talking about the adventures you take in your life. You know, adventures are scary. And so just by calling something an adventure, what you're really saying is I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to try something new. I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know what exactly is going to happen. I've never done this before because if you had, it wouldn't be an adventure. And that's good. I mean, that's the whole point is learn how to be comfortable with your own vulnerability and embrace it. And I think once you do that, the doors really open. Well, I couldn't have closed this episode any better than that, Doc G. Thank you so much for that. If you would like to connect with Doc G, his website is earnandinvest.com. His podcast is Earn and Invest. And on Instagram and Twitter at Earn and Invest without a D. With that, there are 10 key takeaways from today's episode with Doc G. Number one, the identity that fits us best may not be the one we grew up with or the one that others put on us. Number two, having enough 
was just as anxiety provoking as not having enough. Sometimes having too many options, too many decisions, too many possibilities can be numbing. Number three, walking away from his physician identity created two losses. The first loss was his own grieving of all that he had worked for. And the second loss is when his friends and family realized that their vision of what he was meant to do didn't align anymore. People don't like to question deep things, so they don't necessarily want you to question them either. Number four, when it was time to step away, he systematically started subtracting the things that were not fulfilling. What are the things in your life that aren't adding value and how might you begin to subtract them from your life? Number five, Doc G testified he's not nearly as good at the things he does now as he was at being a doctor. But today, he can pursue these things he enjoys even if he's not amazingly successful at them. This allowed him to pivot away from what he thought he was supposed to be doing and work towards the things he wants to be doing. There's really no pressure to succeed above and beyond enjoying the process. Number six, deep connection is what happens when your purpose, identity, and relationships all start to align. The need to explain yourself starts to disappear and connection naturally flows from identifying with your purpose and embracing it as your true identity. Number seven, every day is a Monday or a Saturday or a Sunday or a Tuesday. He finds himself looking forward to Mondays and sometimes on a Saturday afternoon, he's doing what other people might call work. It's a very free lifestyle without the constraints and borders felt from the traditional work week. Number eight, if you can't say hell yes, you better start saying no. Number nine, some people mistake financial independence as once you have enough money, you'll never have to work again. And that's not it. It's that you only do the work you choose to do, work that adds value to your life. The real power of having control of your finances is being able to say no to the work that you don't want to do. Number 10, instead of looking towards goals, look towards processes that bring happiness and joy, regardless of the endpoint or the goal that they lead to. If the goal is becoming such a hassle or fearful to the point that you're not enjoying the process, that's a sign to pull back and change your mechanism. I hope this episode finds you curious to explore how you might opt out of the things that don't add value to your life and opt in potentially to a life of adventure. Adventures are scary, New experiences where being vulnerable and unsure of the outcome are just part of the fabric. That's a good thing. The whole point is to learn how to be comfortable with vulnerability and embrace it. Last week, I agreed to do a giveaway the rest of March for each listener that left a written review and subscribed to the email list. The giveaway is for a pint of our homemade maple syrup, and you can watch how the sap to syrup process is done at Ordinary Sherpa on Instagram. This week's winner is Ben Killoy, and Ben writes, I love the foundation for this podcast and the impact it can have on helping families understand how our hearts are wired. Thank you for creating this resource. Well, thank you, Ben. And if you'll follow up with me, I will get your mailing address and send you some maple syrup. We're going to run this giveaway uh, for a couple more weeks yet. So if if you'd like to be entered into the drawing, you can leave a written review by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash review for a tutorial on how to do that. And you'll also need to go to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash subscribe to join our email list and get adventure goodies delivered to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope you'll stick with us for this journey.